This is a special edition of OMN's Coffee Shop Conversations at Artichoke Music. At the last moment, three separate guests had to cancel. A bad thing, perhaps, but perhaps not, because I turned to an old box of audio cassettes, the remnants of some of my earlier years in radio, and I ran across a tape of a conversation I had with the great drummer, percussionist, and composer, and icon, Max Roach. I'd forgotten that he was a guest on a show I did on what was then called the American Radio Network one Saturday night, March 1, 1990. Max was on the phone and I was in the studio in Baltimore, Maryland. That is this week's podcast. Max Roach! Whew, I am leaving in the commercials, beeps, boops, interruptions, and everything else, just as it originally aired. Enjoy. There are very few people who achieve greatness, right? Who do something, write something, play something new, something we haven't heard or seen before. One thing that opens up a whole new other thing. These people are rare. But among these rare people, it is even more unusual, as a matter of fact, it, is all, it almost never happens, that the person who breaks new ground breaks out of the ground that he broke. Know what I mean? What I mean is that no matter what you do, most people get to a point and stop in their development. The greatest of these people go on. They keep on developing and they never stop. Percussionist, drummer, composer Max Roach could have stopped a long time ago. Kept on playing what he was playing and everybody would have been happy. He didn't and everybody is a lot richer for it. Max Roach is on the line from San Francisco, California, and we'll be talking to him in a minute. Tom D'Antoni on the American Radio Network. Max Roach is next. Max Roach. Stay put. Play the music. Max Roach was a participant in the birth of bebop. He played with Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Clifford Brown, you name it. And uh, stop me if you've heard this before, or if you already know this, but uh, maybe you don't. Since then, he's done, he's done more to make percussion an out-front art form than anybody else. Anybody. He's composed music for combos, solos, chorus, orchestra, percussion ensembles, theater, movies, TV. He's got a band, a double quartet, which includes his daughter. He's something else, this guy. Max Roach. Max Roach is on the line with us from San Francisco. Good evening. Hey, good evening, Tom. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Well, could we uh, could you catch us up on a little news? Could you tell us what you're working on and uh, why you're in San Francisco? Uh, it's something to do with composers and poets, uh, and um, uh, that's about it. This is my first. Uh, we're having a seminar with these wonderful folks: Sonia Sanchez, uh, Victor, and John Santos. Hmm. Jenny Lynn, so it's Jenny Lim rather, so it's in and uh, a group of uh, John Jang, and so it's a group of people who are working on coming out with something that they can present in October, I believe. Uh -huh. What What is your role in that? The same as you know, composers and poets. You know, mm -hmm. the, the whole it's a collaboration where I uh, we all are going to come up with something that's. Hopeful, hopeful that something that hopefully is meaningful as far as uh, as uh, the environment is concerned, as far as homelessness 
homeless people are concerned as far as any of this social issues. Hello? Excuse me, Mr. Rose. Certainly. We're on, we're on the radio. Woody is on the line. <laughs> you want to take, take that call? We'll just take him off the air right now. We'll let him deal with that. Uh, while we're dealing with that, um, why don't we play a little bit of uh, what we were going to talk about next? Max Roach has a, uh, a new recording out, and it's a collaboration with Dizzy Gillespie. That's right, Dizzy Gillespie. It's called Max and Dizzy, Paris 1989, and... Uh, why don't we let it speak for itself? You know what you're listening to? Yeah. Can you can you believe it? That's Dizzy Gillespie. And of course Max Roach. Uh that's Dizzy Gillespie. Now I know that uh if you just turned on the radio and you heard that, you would have never ever thought that that was Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah. You would have never thought that. Because, well, when we think of Dizzy Gillespie, we think of bebop and swinging and and all that, and we don't think of uh, uh, kind of freeform duets like that. But if there's anybody that could get Dizzy to play in that way, it's Max Roach. And uh, we were talking with Max Roach. He had uh, he had to take a call. That's it, Steve. Uh, when you get Max back, if if Max is still on the phone. Why don't you give him the 800 number so he can call us back, all right? And uh, Max Roach, boy, he was there at uh, at the beginning with Charlie Parker. I don't know. 
I don't know if you understand how difficult it is to to continue to to once once you've accomplished something great to to keep developing and keep developing and not to stay in the same place and that's what he did i think we've cleared up the phone situation um uh, have we cleared up the phone situation? Yes, we have. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. We uh, we were playing uh, a little bit from um, the Max Roach and Dizzy Gillespie, Max and Dizzy Paris 1989, uh, the the new release on A&M, and we were playing a bit of, of Word. Um, and if somebody had come in the middle of that and wasn't, you know, completely 100% familiar with... with uh, uh, um, well, I just wouldn't have thought that that would have been Dizzy Gillespie, you know. Uh, of course, for you, I'm, I'm sure it, it's a different thing. But um, that uh, that collaboration is 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 wonderful, Max. How did that come about? Well, Dizzy, I I was in Paris. Dizzy flew in for he flew in for the day. It was a, a concert actually, and it was an, an improvised concert. Dizzy and I hadn't played together in quite some time. had it been since you two played together? Oh, I guess it... I guess about 20 years. Based. What did you find as the improvisation unfolded? Well, you know, when you work with someone like Dizzy Gillespie, you don't... Uh, you just... Uh, it's, it's, it's more like just saying hello to an old friend and and talking about things that you might have in common, your family, and and, uh, and what has been happening over the years since you've seen each other, and, and it's just like that. It was it was it wasn't anything that uh, uh, that I think either either of us either of us were were what I might say was anxious about or apprehensive about. You know, we were. I know something about Dizzy's musical personality because uh, we've known we as, as you said earlier we uh, have worked together before with Charlie Parker and Bud Powell and many others I think the last time was, was with Charles Mingus and Charlie Parker and mm -hmm. Bud Powell at Massey Hall Canada yeah. it might not have been the last time but it's been some time it was some time ago but in any case you, uh, a person who is accomplished as Dizzy is, and who we don't worry about uh, clashes, and especially with percussion and trumpet, you know, musically, it's just, just something that just works. I've done these duets before, some with Cecil Taylor, of course, and uh, uh, Anthony Braxton, and mm -hmm. uh, Abdullah Ibrahim. And they all worked out. They were all worked out. They were pretty much the same, you know. They were uh, designed uh, from an improvisational point of view, as far as the structure was concerned. 
The two of you sound so comfortable together. It was. It was a good night. You know, it was good, and we had a lot of fun, and it was uh, full of great anticipation for me. And uh, you know, and after I've heard, after I heard some of it, of course, uh, I like it. Sometimes, you know, in a situation like that, you might fall on your face, and, <laughs> but you recover, or someone helps you to recover, and vice versa. I would presume, but. Overall, I thought Dizzy was just magnificent, you know, to take the trumpet. As Louis Armstrong would say, you know, the, it's more than a notion, you know, keeping that piece of iron on your chops, so, you know, <laughs> that mouthpiece on your lips like that. And Dizzy was magnificent. I guess he played a, at least an hour and a half straight. Wow. We're talking with Max Roach the uh, master percussionist. We have to take a commercial break right here. You're invited to call 1-800-825-5321 if you'd like to talk. And uh, that's 1-800-825-5321. We'll talk some more with Max Roach when we come back after this message. Jolly good sounds, those. What merry old England and all that. I was butler to his lordship. Fifty rooms in the manor. Loads of silverware. Any butler with his salt is an expert in the care of silver. It's one of his main duties, don't you know? Then his lordship discovered Quicksilver, the famous silver cleaning system. I was out of a job, not so much as a fare thee well. Caught the first Concorde to America. No fool here. I hired on with Quicksilver pronto, as you say. And now I earn more in three days than his lordship paid full time. Quicksilver, those clever chaps, are extending their national network of dealers and demonstrators for this amazing product. That's where you come into the picture. Listen carefully to what this next gentleman has to say. If you're interested in becoming a Quicksilver demonstrator and earning as much as $20,000 in your spare time, call 1-800-537-6883. You'll be trained to show the product at antique shows, fairs, and in stores. Join Quicksilver. Earn as much as $20,000 part-time. Call 1-800-537-6883 today. Remember when you first thought about starting your own business? One of your worries was having to give up the health insurance coverage that your large employer provided. Coverage that was more expensive and not as good was just one of the sacrifices you had to make to have your own company. Maybe you couldn't even use the same doctors that your family was comfortable with, or you lost the dental options just when your children needed braces. If you were a bigger business, you might be able to get that kind of coverage back at rates you could afford. But you aren't. Yet. Now, there's a way to have all those advantages and more. Membership in the American Healthcare Advisory Association connects you as part of a group with owners of thousands of independent businesses across the country. As you know, there's power in numbers, and with those kinds of numbers, you can have your own business and great health insurance coverage through Transport Life, too. If you employ fewer than 15 people, you may qualify. Call 800-972-1000 for more information. 800-972-1000. Ask for American Healthcare. 800-972-1000. With Al Popular, of the popular restaurant. Now, you haven't tried advertising on the radio yet because... People just can't see my delicious food on the radio. Uh-huh. Uh, do you have any specials today? Sure, let me tell you about them. Oh, no, just show me your TV commercial. Oh, I can't afford those. Oh, well, then let me see your newspaper ad. Oh, heck, nobody reads the papers much anymore. Well, gosh, how do you sell your specials? I just describe them. Oh. Like my succulent, juicy baby back ribs. I grill them slow over a mesquite flame. Mm. And then I slather them 
them all over with my mouth water and honey mustard sauce. Mm. It's to die. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> right. I just used the right words and your imagination did the rest. <laughs> no pictures, just words. <laughs> sounds kind of like radio, don't you think? <laughs> oh, no. This kind of thing is completely the, the same. same. Right. Radio can work for you, too. Call this station or the Radio Advertising Bureau and say... I saw it on the radio. Tom D'Antoni on the American Radio Network. We're talking with Max Roach. And, uh, Max, you know, the one thing that I really, um, the, the, I think one of the main things I really want to ask you tonight is, is uh, so many people, uh, and I, I said this in, in, the, in the introduction when, when you were not on the line, even people who accomplish great things, many times, once they've accomplished those things, stop and uh, just spend the rest of their careers doing that same thing. And you're one of the rare people uh, in the world who, who just has never done that. Uh, you could have, I mean, people would have been satisfied. Uh, music mu music uh, listeners would have been satisfied if you had sat there and played bebop the rest of your life, but you didn't. Now, is that does is that kind of, does that is that just something that's that's inside of you, or is that a conscious thing that 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 uh, uh, that, that you dealt with over the years? Well, uh, uh, that's an easy one, actually. If you in this business, uh, in, in order to stay alive, uh, the recording industry demands that you uh, you try to do something else or do some different things, no matter what how large or how small the company is and then your own um, for your own self-esteem if you're in the business that also prevails of course because you cannot it's the same as you can't write the same novel or the same book over and over again and and no matter what you have done in the past you know you it's not only challenging but it's also uh, enjoyable to try to think of new things to do you know sometimes as I said earlier it 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 works, and sometimes it may not work, but uh, you keep on, you know, picking up your models and trying again. And uh, so you, you're you constantly out there searching and looking for new ways to do things, no matter what you do, because when you go before to the, to the record companies, and the first thing they say to you is, well, what have you got new? And so you're constantly, you know, trying to get into new things. There are some folks who can perhaps use the same format and still they have to do new songs or whatever no matter how uh, popular they are you know it's still the same thing with i think with musicians who deal with instrumental music you may have a shot because you can always change the uh, the combination of instruments that you might be involved in you can do things with small groups large groups with voices etc etc and and so as for myself, I'm constantly, you know, trying to find different ways of doing things and different ways of presenting things. And I think that's more the order of the day, the order of the day for most of the, the, uh, the artists that I know who are, who are uh, enjoying themselves and who are, so, <clears throat> excuse me, who are, who are quote unquote making it out here. Mm -hmm. 
I know that you've maybe never done an interview without uh, without somebody asking you about Charlie Parker. And um, mm. one thing I wanted to ask you, and, and I know that everyone asks you about Charlie Parker, but what I'd like to know is, what did Charlie Parker, why did Charlie Parker want to play with you? What was it, you know, in, in, in your music that made uh, Charlie Parker want to play with you? Well, I think Charlie Parker was passing by the Union and on 52nd Street in New York City, and so this this kid standing out there with a pair of drumsticks in his hands, and he just said, "Come on!" and I jumped on board immediately. That's that's not exactly true, but something like that. I I I, I don't know, but I know one thing. I was very uh, I was blessed and very fortunate to have been able to uh, work with Charlie Parker. Actually, it was with Dizzy Gillespie first. And I think that uh, by way of Dizzy Gillespie, I was uh, introduced to Charlie Parker in a way. And when he came to, when Charlie Parker came to New York, I lived in New York and I was working around New York at that time. Um, but Charlie Parker was one of those rare individuals who in spite of the conditions that he grew up in and in spite of the conditions that uh, that uh, he had to confront working in speakeasies and the whole lot, he uh, accomplished some, something that I don't, I don't know if any of the contemporary musicians have made that kind of con uh, contribution other than, say, people like Dizzy Gillespie Boy Powell and folks like that, but, um, you know, when I say in spite of conditions, I'm talking about, you know, Charlie Parker was not a conservatory trained person. He was mainly self-taught, and he learned from his environment, being, you know, working in the speakeasies in Kansas City and Kansas and, and uh, Chicago and New York and other large urban areas around the country. And... Uh, you know, the mystery was, where did he get all this information? Mm -hmm. Max, I have to interrupt you just for a second. Please excuse me, but I have to do the network ID. You are listening at this moment to the American Radio Network. I'm sorry, Max, they make me do that. Please. <laughs> I can't help it. They, they, they don't give me the check unless I do that. <laughs> uh, what do you think, I mean, you know, every, every person is, uh, is a part of, of, the, uh, of, of, of his or her era, but uh, um, if Charlie Parker had come up today, do you think that he would have been as self-destructive? Well, you can look at that two ways, you know, and I've argued that, that uh, no one is really self-destructive. You know, you we are also victimized by the environment that we live in. You know, mm -hmm. you, you we come become tumbling out of our mother's wombs, and we're not looking to do this or that and the other. But the, if you grow up in certain environments, you have to be. You have to be fortunate, you have to be lucky sometimes just to survive it. I noticed that when we go into some of the inner city areas of this country today, I'm amazed at some of the things that, that develop out of these areas. You know, I might look at the, the Dr. J's and, 
and the Charlie Parkers, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, I just wonder how it happened because they didn't have any advantages. Another person like that, of course, was Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. He, he gave the world so much, but uh, it was something that just he developed himself. And I dare say that if he had grown up in an environment where he, he was privy to uh, formal training and things like that, we wouldn't have had the great music that. Uh, came from him and also inspired the people like the Charlie Parkers and all the folks we know of today who are out here. Why not? Well, I doubt it. I doubt it. You see, because this music is so radically different from anything else that we've known, you know, instrumentally speaking, you know, it, and, and it's like that because it was untouched by this the formal... Uh, Conservatory training, you know, other than that, Louis Armstrong would have been playing like a classical trumpet player, Charlie Parker would have been playing like a classical saxophonist. And because of the fact that they were not exposed to this, this is what they, they brought this, this new music to the world. Mm-hmm. Well, Max, but I like to um, just play a little bit of Coco while you're here. Just uh, let everybody listen to you recorded in 1945. Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, Curly Russell, Max Roach, Coco.
I don't know how many times I've heard that, but uh, that's, of course, Coco, Charlie Parker, Desi Gillespie, and Max Roach, and Miles Davis, and Curly Russell. And uh, I don't know how many times it's going to take for me to hear that before I stop getting chills, but I think I'm going to have to drop dead first. What <laughs> what image in 1990, Max, uh, do you get when you hear that tune? Well, I think of that moment, you know, and think of the... Uh the magic of improvisation that uh, that is exemplified by things we hear, you know, well, Charlie Parker, actually. Some people equated it with, uh, say, drip-dry painting, you know, uh, uh, and uh, he thought it was by chance, but it is not, you know. You're playing a set harmony, and each time you go to back to the top of that harmony, you create a new melody, and, of course, Charlie Parker was the master of that uh, of, of of that, I don't think. Uh, other than I said, as I said, other people like Dizzy, Earl Garner, folks like that. Other than that, there are very few who have come to that level, really, the, uh, intellectually and uh, 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 what can I say, soulfully. I guess you might use that word, or emotionally, or whatever. And and it heralded a new era for. Uh, instrumental virtuosity mm-hmm. that whole period did that uh, of course you hear much of it today and the younger musicians like the Wendy Marsalis and so forth that just inspired a whole new world of how to deal with the, with the instruments can you uh, recall um, that jumping off point after Charlie Parker's solo when you took yours yeah, you know, he played two choruses and I played a half a chorus. The chorus was 64 bars and that was it. You know, he just, you take a half a chorus, Max, and let's go. We did, we only recorded that once or twice, as I remember. Uh-huh. In those days, we'd go into a studio and you, as they call it, you got to your, to your, you did your best as fast as possible and that was it and you left the studio and oftentimes or not we did a complete album in say three hours Jeez. we have to take a commercial break here when we come back I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk to you about M. Boom and the percussion ensembles and what you've done to take percussion and uh, make it uh, its own art form Tom D'Antoni on the American Radio Network talking with Max Roach we'll be right back ah the beaches Ah, the nightlife. Ah, the low price. If you're good and ready for an ah-inspiring vacation experience, just remember that Adventure Tours puts the ah in the Bahamas. Over 700 islands make up the beautiful paradise known as the Bahamas. Each island boasts its own particular charm, yet all share a world of warm sunshine, crystal waters, and unlimited fun. And Adventure Tours makes your dream trip to the Bahamas so easy and affordable. Three, four, and seven-night Adventure Tours packages include round-trip airfare via U.S. Air to Nassau, transfers, hotel accommodations, and more. So if you've been telling yourself, ah, I need a vacation, keep in mind that Adventure Tours puts the ah in the Bahamas. Call your travel agent and ask for the Adventure Advantage and Adventure Tours U.S. Air Adventure to the Bahamas because it's better in the Bahamas. Your dad is up in years now and living alone. What if a medical emergency came up and he couldn't get to a telephone? How do you satisfy your concern for his safety as well as his desire to maintain his independence? The answer for both of you is the Helpline Medical Alert System. 
Here's how it works. Your dad carries a tiny pillbox-sized transmitter. If he falls or starts feeling ill and can't get to a telephone to call for help, all he has to do is squeeze the transmitter. Within seconds, a monitoring center is notified, emergency help is dispatched, and you're notified. Helpline is affordable because you order the system direct from the distributor and there are no high-pressure, high-commission salesmen. And because Helpline is user-friendly, you can easily set it up yourself, saving expensive installation costs. Your dad is protected and you know he's all right for under $250 plus a small monthly charge for monitoring service. Call 800-628-2233 for more information and to place your order. Helpline, 800-628-2233. You know, uh, Max, the, the wonderful thing about um, your and Boom ensembles is that there are so many levels to enjoy it. Um, there, of course, there is first the emotional level of, of listening to the music and, and having it do what music, whatever that magic thing is that music does to you. And of course, then the, the, the other levels of that um, that uh, that the listener deals with the listener doesn't really deal very much with the technical musical uh, uh, what what's going on technically with the music and times and keys and that kind of stuff um, and probably we shouldn't because <laughs> I, I don't think anybody wants to know uh, all the things that that go into to you know uh, 
particularly in, in making a great piece of art. But the other thing is, of course, the the the, the um, you come away with a feeling that uh, um, here we are all of us riding on this planet and uh, here is this music that uh, helps tie it all together and tie all of us together. That's a nice thing to say, you know. Uh, <clears throat> actually, you know, I think we the musicians are the same, you know. You stop listening for, well, what is it and how was it done and to see if it satisfies uh, uh, us emotionally as well. And, and I, I must say, too, that if we're on the stand, if we can feel like we hope the audience feels, I think we, 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 we have some idea that what we're doing is communicating with folks out there, because you get communication with you yourself. And sometimes that happens, and that really helps tie you together with not only what you're doing, but with the folks out front who are listening to you. You can almost feel that coming back to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what was the idea uh, originally behind uh, forming Mboom? Well, actually, you know, again, it comes from looking for different instrumental combinations, basically, to express ideas. We, I had said, well, um, I sent out the message that I'd like for some, some drummers whom I had met during my travels and had known who were not just only drum set players, but who were composers and played piano and various other instruments, and so um, uh, I called these eight gentlemen whom I heard their records and things like that, and we all got together and went up to Warren Smith's studio. Warren Smith, incidentally, was the gentleman who wrote that last piece we just heard, Twinkle Toes. Mm -hmm. And we just started working whenever we had a chance to, because most of the guys in that group have all been preferred. They were involved in teaching at some of the universities or music schools around, around and doing Broadway and doing theater shows and, and also working, of course, with some of the well-known artists of the day. And we, whenever we got an opportunity, we would just uh, perform. And all of us knew that percussion instruments and percussion in the total world of percussion, meaning using vibraphones and marimbas and bells and chimes as well as timpani and, and, and instruments of indeterminate pitches, congas and everything, all the other things we use, also uh, 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 can give you the complete spectrum of what tonal music is as well as uh, uh, music that is tone, say the jump set and so forth. So we decided to try to do something that was in the spirit of what the of what uh, this music that comes out of the United States of America is, you know, mainly what we call jazz, et cetera, et cetera, and trying to be as original as, poss as possible with it. We're still working at that, and we've been together for 20 years, Tom. <laughs> same guy, same group. <laughs> and we have a lot of fun with it as well. In fact, Coming up, we're going to do something, and it's the first time we've had a guest of this statue, and Dizzy Gillespie will be our guest. I'll be at the festival in Atlanta, Georgia. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's really exciting. When when uh, when is that coming up? That's going to be in June, first week of June. Do you think there'll be a recording out of it? We hope so. Well, we hope so too. 
<laughs> Let's. Uh, but the, we we don't have too much time left, and I really appreciate you staying with us. I want to talk uh, to get you to talk a little bit about the double quartet. Um, it's uh, it's your your quartet. Um, yourself, Cecil Bridgewater, Odin Pope, Tyrone Brown, mm-hmm. plus the Uptown String Quartet, which includes your daughter Maxine. Right. Um, it must be a, uh, it must be a joy to be able to work with your daughter like this. Oh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. You know, it all happened when my daughter was going to Oberlin and uh, she majored in music there. Uh, one day I went over to see my mother and she said, you know, you're making all these records with all these folks. When are you going to do something with your daughter? Spoken like a mother. When she came out of school and went to Europe and stayed for a while and came back home. Well, that sounds like Mama talking. It really does. It was like an auto, you know. So we began to talk about it and talk about it. And it took us about... Uh, Oh, eight and, about eight years to really put it all together. And finally, you know, uh, with her and three other very fine uh, ladies who are also uh, just top of the line folks, we started putting this together. And and then the funny thing was when uh, Dick Asher, the president of uh, of uh, Polygram Phillips Records here in the USA came down to see the double quartet and then the secretary called me the next day and said to come asked me to come down to his office and talk to him. I was rubbing my hands together and said, Ah, oh, we're gonna get a contract, I hope, with Phillips polygram. Uh-huh. Of course when I walked in his office Dick was very uh, congenial and he said, You know, I'm interested in your daughter's string quartet and that's how we got that's how we got started and this first album I must say is surpassing uh, all of our uh, expectations, you know, well, the company as well as the uh, ladies in the quartet. So there. I hope it continues. What we have here, and I'd like uh, I'd like the audience to hear a little bit of it. What I have here is the first double quartet record uh, from uh, 1985, yeah. and uh, we're going to play a little bit of uh, a tune called "A Little Booker," which you wrote and composed, and we'll go to the, go to the break with it. Steve, uh, roll that, please.
That's the Max Roach Double Quartet. And Max Roach is, uh, has been spending this hour with us, and uh, we really appreciate uh, you staying with us, Max. Thank you. Um, can, you uh, uh, can you tell us uh, what other projects you have coming up that we can look forward to? Well, uh, aside from this uh, Festival 2000 that I'm out here in San Francisco working in, that is three other composers and three poets, uh, and that's John Jang, John Santos, and the composers and myself, and the poets uh, um, Sonia Sanchez, Jenny Lim, and mm-hmm. Victor Cruz. Uh, I've just finished the music to a, a new play that's off-Broadway in New York City called Strangers, uh, Leopold, uh, Leonardo, rather. Mm-hmm. Leonardo Shapiro directed and wrote the, the work itself. I'm very excited about that piece. And, um, I, I'm getting more and more involved with theater, it seems, at least on the immediate, uh, for the past three or four months. And I'm also working on the piece of the Mary Baraka, but, uh, and then we'll back on the road beginning um, in two weeks, and we'll be going up until we go to Europe, and I'm looking forward to a very special concert and that involves Dizzy's, Dizzy's United Nations Band and Miles Davison, and, uh, of course, an orchestra work that I've done and uh, in, in Italy, the first time we've played together, mm-hmm. actually, ever, you know, with our own bands, own Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to also recording again, you know, with some of the other things that I'm trying to do out here. But mm-hmm. uh, I'll tell you this much, I'm having a lot of fun. And uh, no matter what, how it turns out, you know, you just keep on going. You know, just, if, it, if it doesn't make, if this one doesn't make it, you just go to another another one, another level, or another idea. Mm-hmm. You know, uh we do take phone calls here, and generally what happens is the more interesting the person, the fewer the phone calls. And, but there is a guy, there's Pete in Brockton, Massachusetts, who is dying to talk to you. And we only have a minute left, but uh, uh, Pete, where did Pete go? Well, Pete went away. I was Pete. You had your chance. Too bad. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Max Roach, for spending this time with us. Uh, it's, it's been very rewarding, and, and uh, I'm sure that we have listened to every word that you've had to say and have, uh, and have profited by it. Well, thank you for having me on as well, and all the best to you. All righty. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So long. That's Max Roach. That's Max Roach. You heard it. Yeah. Uh-huh. You hear that? I hope you did. I hope you heard the whole hour, except for the except for the part where uh, where the uh, hotel operator broke in. <laughs> that was confusing. But then uh, then we got back into it. This is Tom D'Antoni on the American Radio Network. I didn't give the phone number the entire hour, and that's okay with me because um, well, to tell you the truth, I wanted to talk to him. Regular listeners here, you know what the number is. Didn't I give it at the top? Nah, I didn't even mention it at all. All right, but next hour, should your station continue with the American Radio Network, I want you to call. Next hour, the uh, editor of a new book called Men Confront Pornography will be on with us, Mike Kimmel. And this is going to be a real controversial kind of hour because I've looked at this book and I have some trouble with it. And uh, maybe Michael can set me straight and maybe not. Men Confront Pornography. Very interesting. We're going to talk about that. 
and a lot more. Tom D'Antoni right here for you on a Saturday night. This is the American Radio Network.